Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. And my name's Sam. Joining us today is Christian Vanderheide, president and CEO of the Siebel Institute, the oldest brewing school in the Americas. Our focus with Christian is the history of beer education. How has it changed over time? How and which technological innovations have impacted the industry most? Beer is an evolving and ever-changing industry. Christian tells us about how Siebel has widened its educational efforts into spirits, meads, ciders, ready-to-drink cocktails, and flavored malt beverages. We learn Christian's backstory as a master brewer at Augustiner with an education from the Wine Stefan Brewing School. While he's worked for a number of the largest breweries in the world, he's not lost his love for home brewing, the root of innovation, he argues. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Let's dive and get heavy. Christian, welcome to Heavy Hops. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, pleasure to be with you. You are the president and CEO of the Siebel Institute, the oldest brewing school in the Americas. There's so much we want to talk about uh, with you as far as the school itself and the ed- world of education and the changing nature of education as well, too. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit. Tell us uh, about your background and how you uh, how you found beer or how did beer find you? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So uh, let me let me try to, to keep it uh, keep it somewhat short because it's going to get lengthy anyway. So, but I'm I guess one of those individuals that for the last thirty five years did nothing else but um, engaged in in beer and different aspects of beer. Um, but I'm as passionate after thirty five years as I am um, as I am today. So so maybe maybe there's a definition for somebody that loves his loves his work and loves his. Um, loves this industry. So I'm, I'm really, you know, brewing is in my blood and um, I'm doing this for 35 years. And by definition, I've seen a lot of different aspects of the brewing industry. And I grew up in uh, in a little, uh, little village just outside of Munich, Bavaria, where, you know, brewing uh, and farming was kind of the number one uh, profession. And so way, way before craft brewing or any, any explosion in microbrewing, um, I was exposed to an environment where farmers would grow the barley um, for the uh, malting plant of the brewery. And I was a little kid, always observing at lunchtime, uh, people opening one or two bottles of beer uh, after the first part of the work on the farm. And I could always realize when people drink a beer, they become a bit more relaxed, they become more sociable. And, um, and I was fascinated by this, by this mystic drink that I, that I saw as a kid. On the table and um, and the brewery that had this big stack and the uh, that the black smoke would come out and the the pond in front of the brewery where we played ice hockey and uh, which is really the the ice pond to to cut the ice out in the winter to melt the ice to keep the beer cold so I was I guess from early age on fascinated and, and passionate about this whole feel about the copper vessels the uh, you know roaming over the barley fields. Um, they were taller than me, <laughs> and uh, and then and then this mystic this mystic drink. So um, that made me uh, engage actually in, in brewery activity at the age of twelve. So I was working on my on my grandparents' farm, and there was a brewery, uh, not in the village. There was a brewery in the village where I grew up, but but the neighboring village had also a brewery, 
And I said to my grandfather, you know, one day I want to become an apprentice. Uh, when I, I want to really properly train brewing and malting. And he says, you know what, let's, let's drive over to the brewery because they will not just take you. You have to, you have to demonstrate you're good. So I was 12 years old and uh, in my summer vacation, I would be in the, in the bottle shop of that brewery and I would push empty, empty returnable grades of bottles. And I would take the, uh, the ground corks off so that the bottle washer could uh, do his job. So kind of a stinky, noisy job, um, not well paid, but I was again, fascinated by, wow, look at this bottling machine. It does, I don't know how many bottles a minute, which, which is nothing compared to the high-speed lines today. Um, and the brewery liked what I was doing. And then when I was um, 16, they uh, offered me an apprenticeship, and I decided to uh, you know, do my apprenticeship in brewing and malting and did that for three years. And then um, I was kind of um, you know, interested and, and intrigued to go to the big city. And um, the Augustina Brewery, which is the oldest brewery in Munich, just a few years short of 700 years, in age says, Hey, Christian, um, we need you to, uh, to join us. And so I became uh, one of the head pros at Augustina Munich. And uh, so for the little boy from the countryside, that's uh, enjoying, you know, small scale brewing and making soft drinks and malting, this was a huge step up. And yet the brewery still felt like a, you know, family brewery, it felt, um, you know, the, the walls were just oozing with history and you know, still open fermentation vessels um, in a brewery that at that time did about six, seven hundred thousand hectoliters. I just felt really home. There was a, uh, it was, it was that same history mix and technology and pride in the craftsmanship that that I was always striving for. So I did that for for several years, um, brewing and, and fermentation, and and I learned a lot about what it means, you know, when you are a journeyman and when you are taking bigger responsibilities and a work shift. And uh, working shift is fun for a while because you like the the extra money that comes in, but it also it also grinds you down. So that kind of motivated me to go and go to university. So I studied at the um, one of the oldest brewing schools, uh, brewing universities over in in Munich at Weinstephan, uh, and studied beverage and, and beer technology and, and graduated there um, as a diplom Braumeister, which is you know a German title at this time. Um, yeah, and, and I, here, here I was ready with my many years experience. I got my degree in the pocket and I found Germany very boring. You know, everybody, everybody was just waiting to get to become the second brewmaster and then, you know, wait till that brewmaster retires and then, and then all of your life, you know, you're in the brewery. And then next thing is you're going to get prostate cancer and you're going to pass away. So that was kind of my, my big fear, uh, staying in Germany. And so. Um, I got engaged with the early rumblings of the craft brewing industry in North America by people saying, hey, Christian, can you write a really good wheat beer recipe for me? Can you help me to find a used malt mill? Malt mills are very expensive. And so somehow somebody lured me over to North America and here I am, uh, landed in um, north, north of the United States in Canada. And I basically immigrated to Canada in 1996. Um, joined a master brewers meeting and at the master brewers meeting, I was poached by Labatt breweries at that time which was part of Interbrew, which became InBev, which became ABI. And I got hired as the experimental brewery running process and product development. Fast forward, the brewery bought a lot of other breweries and the succession planning was a bit easier because you didn't have to have huge seniority. You were rewarded by your performance and et cetera. And what really helped me even at that time, being this big organization uh, to be that passionate brewer that I am. And, and there was just no other guys passionate about brewing than, than I was. So. I did that and then had the chance to climb the ladder and became director of product development, director of innovation, 
And then I had worldwide responsibility as the center of excellence for process development for Levada Interbrew, and then also uh, for the category of new, um, new, uh, new, new drinking occasions, basically. So it was that verge where we were looking at what else can you do with beer from gluten-free to, uh, you know, smoked uh, old porters and whiskey barrels. And, and we were in a certain way, way ahead of the time. Um, and, I, and I say this with no arrogance, but we had no feel as a large brewery for how, how to really launch an, an amazing beer when you are a mass producer, right? And um, yeah, so um, then, uh, you know, the company decided to import me back to Europe and I worked out of uh, Leuven uh, and, um, and Brussels for, um, for the company. And then my old boss from, from uh, North America called from, uh, from Labatt, John Consul, gave me a buzz and said, hey, Christian, I, I need you to come to Guinness. Guinness, there's no brewers left when we're needing somebody with your passion. And so I jumped ship while I was on overseas, moved to London, England. And it took over all the third-party brewery business for um, for Diageo, which owns Guinness. Uh, I did that for several years, which made me travel around the Caribbean, Africa, Asia. Fifty-three breweries that that were brewing Guinness in license—not the Guinness draft beer, but the Guinness for an extra style. So the very strong, um, you know, porter sherry-like um, uh, beer. And then I got promoted into Dublin to take over technology, innovation, quality and engineering worldwide for Diageo. And I was doing that for about four years. And then I felt I'd, I'd become one of those guys that's just sitting on his desk, making big decisions and is not engaged with the market anymore. Even so, we had a nice pilot brewery there. I frequented it all the time. And I was bringing my own, my own beer in my little home brewery um, in, in Dorky, uh, just outside of Dublin too, which by the way is a comment. I, I always homebrewed since, since the beginning. And I always had a brewing system traveling with me. And till today, that holds true. Um, and so regardless if I had executive roles and were with important companies, for me, the simple home brewing is still something I'm usually engaged with. So long story short, um, I, was, uh, I was running the beer business there uh, for Diageo and Guinness on quality. Um, also was voted president of the Europe European Brewing Convention, which is the... Um, the um, the the technical science arm of the brewers of europe a lobby group basically from the from the european brewing association with 3500 breweries and i was doing that also while i was at diageo then i moved to kenya obviously that's what you do when you are are a german canadian brewer moving to dublin the next thing you want to do is be in kenya and i had the opportunity to run the biggest brewing network for diageo at this time with a seven million hectoliter brewery in nairobi uh, one and a half million hectare brewery in, in Port Bell in Uganda and three breweries in Tanzania, Moshi Mwanza and Dar el Salaam, including two distilleries, a malting plant and a big glass factory. So I felt, hey, that's the next big thing to do. And I had, I had this amazing experience in Africa. I moved there with my whole family, of course, and was back to the front line, back to the ever, ever demanding and changing um, element when you run returnable glass brewery, uh, in uh, in Kenya at you know 1900 meters elevation, and uh, and you know three different currencies and you know 5,000 people working in in Nairobi alone in the brewery, uh, and I'm the I'm the guy with a different color, right? So yeah, then uh, then I moved back to Canada. Long story short, and about three years ago, um, I got poached uh, by uh, by Siebel, and I think Siebel was looking for a successor um, for the uh, for the outgoing uh, president at that time. Lynn Kruger, who retired, and, and Keith Lempio, who retired. 
And I think they wanted somebody that has had international experience, somebody that's passionate about beer and doesn't mind jumping into his car every two weeks to drive from Canada to Chicago, spend time in Chicago and, um, and, and work in the school. So that's the very short version of it. <laughs> it's an excellent, uh, excellent yeah. abridged story there. Uh-huh. Um, very abbreviated. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, in my, in my experience, uh, previously in the in the on-premise and in the retail in the retail world i remember meeting tons of people from the siebel institute i worked at a bar called local option that was around the corner from uh when siebel was still at goose island and uh that program the world brewer the world brewing academy and that like two-year program with uh, an affiliation with domans brought so many people to the US and also gave those people from the US who may not otherwise take the opportunity to travel abroad, gave them a great opportunity to learn abroad. And I think that those people came back and many of them populated breweries in Chicago as well too. So I think that this, that Siebel has not just taken their responsibility to the brewing world and given back in spades, but also has enriched Chicago itself by being a present force in the city. Can you talk about the World Brewing Academy? Absolutely. I would say Siebel for sure has been an incubator in uh, in different ways, sometimes a direct incubator, sometimes sometimes indirect, as you as you talked about Dovetail, for example, um, the, the two brewers there who did the World Brewing Academy. Um, yes, the World Brewing Academy is, is, is really an idea that... Um, you know, came came to see the sunshine about 20 years ago and uh, was born by the concept that there isn't one way to brew beer, but there's different philosophies to brew beer, right? So there's the North American way, there's the East Coast way, the West Coast, there is the uh, Caribbean way, there's the German way, then the English brew it this way, the Scottish that way, and and the, uh, and, the um, and the Canadians make it any different. So the whole thing is the respect for the different ideas, the different cultures, and and kind of you know immersing yourself into the classic traditions of this again belgian beers um etc so that that was kind of the context and somebody at the time says you know what um wouldn't it be great to to form a partnership between one of the oldest vocational schools in uh, in germany the dermans institute and the oldest brewing school in the americas um the siebel institute and so they drafted up an agreement and says okay why don't we both pitch in with our knowledge, our training, and create a World Brewing Academy uh, platform. And uh, within that platform, we give students the opportunity to spend some time in an awesome city in Chicago, um, get to know the theory of, you know, the North American style of brewing um, and, you know, the fundamentals in brewing, and vice versa. We give them the chance to travel to um, to Munich um, and spend time uh, at the Dermans Institute and do a lot of practical training with the with with the Bavarians. So that was the the, the core principle. And then uh, short after that, um, eighteen years ago, they already decided an online training. And eighteen years ago, Siebel or slash the World Brewing Academy started to offer the concise course as an online course, etc. So you know, very much ahead of the game. Uh, but it was really about the the experiences and leveraging you know different traditions. That's that's kind of the the short of the World Brewing Academy and in today's world. Um, it is truly a, a global gathering, particularly through the online, but even uh, on the campus in Chicago, I'm always amazed when I see 
um, our students pre-COVID, um, yeah, see our students, you know, coming from not only a lot of different states in the United States, but also, you know, from Mexico, from Guatemala, from a Caribbean island, from Korea, from Australia. Um, and it's just, just amazing to see people really flogging to, to come to Chicago for that experience and really the experience that they have later on uh, when they go to Munich. So um, that's, that's the World Brewing Academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel as though, uh, again, there's a huge enrichment that Chicago receives from these people coming from all over the world to to learn and to learn from each other. And hopefully they take some of Chicago back with them, too, in a small way. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, ab- I'm absolutely sure they do. I, I can tell you that sometimes I, I question, you know, is it are they coming because because there's Siebel? Or they're coming because of Chicago. My good excuse is going to Seawall. So people <laughs> people are in love with the town, and people do want that experience. And we're feeling this right now with our with our COVID constraints. Uh, we had to postpone a couple of our campus courses, and we offered people, "Hey, why don't you do online while this COVID is going on?" Etc. No, no, no. We want to come to Chicago. We want to be on campus. We wait till whatever the vaccination is out, or we wait till spring 2021. I hope everything is better. So there's a strong, strong movement and i can only say it's the experience of siebel within chicago there is no mm-hmm. siebel outside of chicago uh, and the experience is just very unique including our new location that kind of uh, amplifies again all the great that the city has to offer mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh, siebel has given away scholarships in this time as well and have uh, attempted to activate as many people as possible during this different this uh, this difficult time um, with Siebel being the first to provide somewhat extensive online education, obviously the practical experience kind of stops at a certain point. Um, what what does the breadth of online education look like uh, at Siebel at the moment? It's uh, it's a good question. It's it, it it varies because we really have different options in our online education, and you can go even as far as what we call blended learning. So you can combine your online experience with a campus experience. So it's not uh, either or, you can also combine it. And you know the big benefit obviously of an online education is you can do it from home. You don't need to travel. You don't need any visas if you if you come from, from another country. Um, and we have basically two, two fundamental choices online. One is what we call our synchronous uh, platform where you have you know, full active moderators and tutors and you, you work online at particular times and on particular days. So it's more of a experience of engagement with the tutors. And we have the non-synchronous platform that basically allows you at any one time of the day or the week or whenever you want, you're gonna log in and you kind of self-learn and then any questions you have, you post these questions via email uh, in, in into the web forum. So some people are very comfortable with following a a schedule, if you wish, um, and others say, "I don't want a schedule. I bring the kids to to uh, to daycare in the morning. Um, I have my day job. I want to be able to learn when I'm good, and it may be Friday at midnight, and it may be Sunday between two and four. So mm-hmm. we're trying to be there for our students and offer those different packages, if you wish, pending their lifestyle, pending their budgets, pending their overall interest." And the beauty is it doesn't matter which course you take, you can always upgrade. You can start at the basics, you can upgrade, and ultimately you can make your way all the way to the master brewer 
uh, program. And, you know, knowledge does not expire. You can, you can just add on. So that's really the world of, of the, of the web-based. Uh, we recently launched a, a, a Spanish version um, of our concise is uh, Corso Corto. It's a, it's a short version. It's, it's the equivalent of one week in campus, but you do it, you know, in, within one month online. It's sort of Spanish speaking and we, aggressively um, priced it so that those uh, Spanish speaking brewers that are um, in, in lower uh, financial uh, scenarios where they don't have the buying power of their, of their currency can, can still drive the education. And we launched, um, uh, you know, the one week equivalent of a campus course, the fundamentals in brewing, uh, which takes some core elements out of concise course to be mindful of the current time, right? People, um, many people are unemployed. Many many brewers are not sure which way they're going, and they may not want to commit to something like two weeks, or they may not want to commit to a longer course. So, um, so we, we made that offering. Um, we will also, uh, as we're in the process of relaunching the, the famous Sturmans Beer Sommelier, um, we we break that down from the original two week campus into an online section, a three day section, and a five day section. So we're doing everything on our end to kind of create anything from a blended learning where you do something online, something practical on campus to also still encourage people to come to the campus when the campus is open again, because we got a really amazing facility at uh, 322 South Green Street. Mm -hmm. How has, uh, how has the feedback been for online learning? And um, do you kind of see us adapting this as educators for the future where we see more of a blended model or when we are through these kind of trying times, are we going to revert back to more in-person learning? So it's it's a good question. I mean, some some people have very bold statements, and they're saying the world will never be the same, education will never be the same, and that and that may be true. I don't know. I I, I hesitate to have these bold words in times of of a bold pandemic, because by definition, everything seems amplified and emotional. All of that. What what I can say is that. We, we believe that um, blended learning is, is likely the best way to go. So you take elements from, from both worlds um, and you need that personal interface. You need the human interface at the end of the day. You know, we're all, we're all social animals and we learn from others. Remember when we were kids, we learned from our siblings. We learned from other, other kids that you were playing in the sandbox with. So online learning, particularly online learning for adults is, um, is, is great to a degree, but you should always top it or add on or bridge it um, with real life experience. Um, and there's different ways to do that. You could do you could do practical work in a brewery and you combine it with online. You could do a blended learning at Siebel where you uh, do an online module and then you come for the class module. So diff different ways to do it, but, but, but for sure education will use smarter electronic tools, more webinars, and yeah, there's a good probability that it will stay. Um, and yet I'm very optimistic that when we get control over the pandemic, um, there's, an, there's an additional quest, an additional thirst for, for really connecting. We brewers like to connect. We like to do this in the tap room or at my, my, uh, my, my pub next door or, you know, wherever you go, but uh, it's, it's a physical world. And, and therefore I would, I would, I would not dare to think that the physical learning, the on-campus learning will disappear completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you've, in the time that you've spent in the industry, you've seen a great deal of 
innovation and change over time um, as far as how automation occurs in the brewery and the changes that uh, technology uh, and the impact they've had on how beer is made and what innovations occur outside of beer that then impact beer as well. Have, uh, how does this impacted education of the educate, education world of beer? Uh, very, very good question. Um, let, let me give you first a bit of a philosophical reply, and that is um, love when it. You all, <laughs> when, you, when you when you go when you go all the way back in education um, in brewing education, um, and you open up some of the books from 1860, 1880, 1900, when we look at the courses that uh, Johnny Siebel held in Chicago at the different uh, at the different locations, in, 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 and you look into um, how courses were described and what the objectives were, they were they were absolutely timeless. Yeah, so uh, they were timeless in terms of self development, growing yourself, continuous education uh, was as important at the time to kind of secure your future job and to to go with the changes in the technology as it as it is today. So, um, you know, learning how to dry hop um, effectively today is not different to learning how to use a filtration system in 1910 um, that used cotton um, to, um, to to filter that beer. It was a new technology that came out, a new opportunity, and you needed to understand, you know, the, the science behind it and then the practical application. So um, there's, a, there's a, you know, famous uh, psychologist and philosopher, you may have heard Maslow's Pyramid of Need States, and he clearly described what are the human need states that, that we all have from a sense of belonging, a sense of growth, uh, you know, shelter, roof over your head, food on the table, and all these things. And ultimately, a school is, is one of these elements that, that help you, um, you know, grow yourself, help you to improve your, your, your status, whatever that is. So I think um, that there's, there's a tremendous amount of similarity uh, from, the, from the past to today. Um, it's also fascinating when you actually go really back in time and think about um, how was how was knowledge brokered, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And I did a I did a slide at a at a, at a presentation actually um, that I gave in the in the Philippines a few years ago, and then um, most recently at a, at a graph brewing conference in the, in the, in Ontario last year October and. You have to understand that the the original knowledge that a brewer had was completely empiric. Yeah. So it was, you know, I I add that grain and that water and out comes this product. I alter this, I change that, and my product is different. And that at that time you had no microscope, you had no thermometer, no steam engine, no cooling machine. You had a fermentation that you didn't understand because nobody understood what yeast or microorganisms are, yeah? In the Middle Ages, when you brewed three consecutive beers after the other, what happened to you? Yeah, uh, oh. everything ended up sour. Yeah. yeah, super sour and... Yeah, most of the beers were super sour. No, what and I'm saying is if you had three beers in a row that weren't sour, what happened to you? What do you think happened in the Middle Ages? I would say you'd wind up with three different products for sure. Well, uh, I tell you, they they uh, those that had too good a quality, you got killed for witchcraft. <laughs> They, uh, they, they, they burned you alive. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is factual. So, um, 
So it was empiric knowledge, etc. And then it was tribal knowledge. It was like the one family knew how to make these top fermenting beers and the other had these had the groot and had the different spices and others had this beer that makes you dizzy, others made beer that made you aggressive, and others you couldn't get drunk because it was so watery and sticky. And then and then with the rise of the um of the churches and the monasteries, um many, many of the of the empiric things became systematic. Yeah? So knowledge was not brokered as a as a tribal element anymore. The the monastery basically was systematic. They were working clean, organized, and they realized um, there's this little organism they they could see um, as early as 1660 when they had different lenses put together. They had no idea what it is, but they saw little little gritters uh, floating in your in in your beer, and and they became more systematic. Then you had the French Revolution, right? That that really started to empower people and saying, you know. Um, you know, you rise up and and learn learn more. Uh, you had the Napoleon Wars that that, that changed things dramatically and again empowered uh, the individuals. And then you had the brewing guilds. The brewing guilds controlled who could open up a brewery. Again, the the, the knowledge was really captured. And then you had the great philosopher Immanuel Kant, who says, you know what, um, you you are your own destiny. You shape your own destiny from 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 what you can learn. And then you had the industrial revolution that suddenly created totally different technology in how you make your beer. So you really get went from tribal um, to the guilds uh, over all these different steps. And then boom, you, you needed to learn new technology. Where, where would you go? How, how, how do I know how to operate a steam machine? How do I, how do I do that? And then really this was the, the rising of the brewing school. So we're, we're the eldest in, in North America. We're one of the three oldest basically in the world. And they all incorporated around 1860, 1870, 1880, 1890. And that coincides with the Industrial Revolution. Yeah? People, people wanted to learn more. You had cottage breweries, you know, Chicago, uh, Illinois, many, many of the states had tons of cottage breweries uh, out there. And, and it was no different to, to, to craft brewing. But suddenly um, there was this kind of new technologies happening. There was, you could cool your beer, you, you, could, you could measure things better. And so there was this quest for knowledge. And then really, this is when Johnny Siebel, when he came to Chicago in, in 1865, did his PhD. And, and really the first job that he did as a chemist is help some breweries to, to analyze the beer and analyze things. And the number one question that came to Johnny Siebel is, I have this yeast. Um, I don't know if this is good yeast or bad yeast. I don't know if this makes good beer or bad beer. And so in our archives, we've got these beautiful letters from you know, a brewery in San Francisco um, sending, sending beer in the yeast and saying, you know, how does that work? And Johnny Siebel would do a, a fermentation trial and he would say, you know what, it duplicates well, it makes a good beer. Uh, most of the sugars are fermented, which is good brewing yeast, right? And then he realized, oh my God, um, we can train people. So he would start off the first classes um, teaching, teaching brewers and many of them employed in breweries um, the fundamentals of the science behind brewing, etc., and then kind of it all evolved. But it's really within the context of the industrial revolution, in the context of people are more empowered to choose their destiny. And in today's world, our civil students they don't they don't come because they have to; they come because they want to. And many of them, it's continuous education, still like in the past. Many are employed in a brewery, um, and they want to further their knowledge, or they know everything empirically but don't have a formal education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, just speaking anecdotally, I've seen, 
uh, in serving people that went to Siebel. Uh, definitely a high number of people that come because they are interested in beer, uh, in addition to a number of people that are there because their their host brewery sent them. And so it's it's been re- seeing that, and especially that former number grow quite a bit, was really uh, inspiring to see. And I think that now you see even more like uh, self-starting and smaller breweries uh, popping up that maybe was started by someone who uh, went to Siebel and they incubate the talent there. Um, And are you continuing to see a lot of people come from those types of breweries uh, so that you have your students doing your marketing for you? Um, yes, it's a word of mouth is everything, and and we're also we we woke up also in the world of digital marketing. We have an, we have an awesome team on digital marketing, not not at Siebel, but but in our mothership, yeah. and um, and it's an important way to engage. But ultimately, the only thing that matters is a testimonial from somebody that did the concise course and is engaged in his Facebook or WhatsApp group and says, you know what, this was an awesome time. Um, and ultimately, it's the jobs that people get. They they you know graduated Siebel. And they get a better role somewhere else, and then they're saying, you know, what what got me there is Siebel, and I have this wonderful testimony from from a, from a lady that approached us um, on a on a Siebel booth in uh, a few years ago at, at a graph brewing conference. Um, it was uh, it was uh, Philadelphia or or it was Denver. I, I I don't I don't recall, but she says, you know, I I was always passionate about brewing. I did Siebel, and now I went from my passion to really have a career. Right. And that's that's kind of the, the game changer. Um, and we're also seeing amazing people like we seeing CEOs of software companies that says, you know what, I always hated my job, but I made all that money. <laughs> now I want to do I want to liberate myself and, and make amazing beer. So where do they go? They go to Siva and they they are, you know, you know this this particular individual that I reference. He's uh, he's he's about 200 meters away from UC Davis and another great brewing school over in in California. Right? He wanted to be with the oldest brewing school and he wanted to know what, what others learned at Siebel and, 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 and tap into that. And that's, you know, and that's only word of mouth. That's, that's reputation. That's our brand and the feeling that you get when you actually, you know, after, after you sit all day in class and then you go to a beer stube and you do some beer tasting and all the professors and faculty members hang out with you, may have a pizza and, and, and you, and you test the different beers responsibly. Um, and that, and that's just a feeling of, brotherhood, a feeling of sisterhood, a feeling of, you know, being somehow connected again to that long heritage of, of, of brewers that pass on knowledge from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as touching other, uh, other parts of the beverage industry or part of the beer world, such as seltzers and ciders and, and other uh, emerging beverage categories, um, I assume that education uh, it can encompass those fields because there is brewing equivalent uh, technology that goes into into making those products as well, right? That is that is correct, and um, you know you fundamentally learn about fermentation and the principle of alcoholic fermentation and processing an alcoholic beverage. You know, specialized on beer, and so we we get many requests. We also do some consulting. Um, obviously, from Siebel, always always have done that, and there are people saying, "Hey, how do I make hot seltzer? How do I make kombucha?" Um, with with a guy taking a brewing training from Australia, who's a sheep farmer who who wants to make some honey wine. So, 
Australian sheep farmer coming to Chicago in the brewing program to learn how to make honey wine. Yeah. So um, it's, it, you know, sky's the limit. Um, you, know, you know, it's, it's, it's of course, I, I think we are, you know, predominantly focused on the beer side and, 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 and we should, but, you know, face it in today's world, um, no category is exactly um, without strong influence from, from other beverage categories. Right. So um, if you take a, if you take a Rodler, um, you know, you, you blend, you know, a soft drink with a, with a beer, um, you take non-alcoholic beers, you take um, certain RTDs that are malt based, you take a hot seltzer that's using a high performance spring strain and nutrients for the yeast. And, and you, you, you create a product that, um, you know, replaces the beer occasion at a, at a lower um, caloric value, um, not more than 5% alcohol, very trendy. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's all in there. And in a, in a, in a, in a, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter um, what element you teach. Ultimately, you teach people the inside and you teach them, um, I guess, sensitivity um, in a sense that you that you want people to understand there's always more to learn. Yeah? Beverages beverages are complex; they're not simple. Yeah, it it is it is easy to make a beer, but it's hard to make the same beer again. We all know that, uh, and it's even harder to package a product, keep the shelf life, keep the integrity, um, and the more you brew with different spices and ingredients and and all that innovation that 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 the American home brewers brought and you know created a wave of craft brewers doing that is hugely complex because the coriander flavor doesn't stay the same. You have so many yeast strains to choose from. You have 180 hop varieties now um, to play with. Uh, oh my God. And all they interact and do different things and create a super hazy, super choosy, brute, double, triple this. Um, and it's exciting because there are issues. There are problems. Your yeast not settling out too much alcohol in this one, bursting can in the other one with the diastatical yeast. So, uh, you, you can't stop learning and you can't stop respecting that something as simple uh, as fermentation is not as simple at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What uh, what do you view as some of the more uh, important and innovations of the last couple of years? And where do you think the source of innovation is coming from? Is it coming from brewers? Is it coming from uh, suppliers of the brewing industry like the hop farmers? Good question. Again, I, I like to I like to take a kind of a broad view on this one. Um, I, I would say um, I would say Charlie Papazian's effort with with American home brewing has for sure been a huge incubator in trying new things and has triggered um, the suppliers, has triggered the industry. If this is us as on the on the east side or on the training side to think differently, and has created a new, fresh, young appetite for for playing with, with beer, if you want to call it playing. So I would say that in itself is a breakthrough innovation. It's a it's a breakthrough movement. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. it started right in, in this in this beautiful country here. Um, and it and it rippled across the world. Yeah. So there's more activity now, believe it or not, on craft brewers in the in the old world than there is in the Americas. There's a delayed wave arriving over there and then taking it as well into different into different dimensions and, and space, et cetera. So I would say that's a big, a big movement, a big incubation that triggered then a lot of innovations. The hop farmers uh, quest to create the next citrusy hops, the next 
uh, noble spicy aroma, the next tropical fruit hops, that's all driven as a ripple by others wanting to play with hops and being obsessed with hops, right? Um, we're looking at a lot of yeast. We know we can create amazing flavors with, with, with yeast, uh, but it's all driven in the end by uh, the consumer and by the industry. The consumer that wants a variation, the consumer that also gets tired of some innovations quickly. So there's also, you know, the hard day uh, reality that if you, the more you innovate, the more consumers um, stop being loyal to an innovation and want the next big thing and the next big thing. Um, so these, these are these are breakthrough movements in it. Um, when I look at more from a technology lens, um, you can design a brewery today that has a one-to-one uh, -one water ratio. So uh, which which is absolutely breakthrough. And that means um, you know breweries used to be really bad on water consumption, and over the last uh, 10, 15 years, breakthrough best practices, breakthrough technology that allows you to dramatically reduce water stop uh, water losses and then recuperate water so that you could in the end um, come down as low as having one liter of water making one liter of beer which which is fascinating when you look at the details and how to get there or even go as low as one two three so for one uh you know for three liters of water you can make one liter of beer uh which which is which is absolutely breakthrough for me that's fascinating the same on the energy consumption there's amazing technologies out how you can recover energy save energy, uh, reduce the carbon footprint, and in the end of the day, uh, just be more sustainable. And, I, and I, could, I could go on with that one. So these are the kind of the big ones that, that stuck in my head. Um, and then we often forget innovation on packaging. Um, you know, small can filling devices where you only had huge can fillers before and everybody says, oh, you can't build a small one. And you look at these little machines and we have one at, at Siebel now uh, from Gregor's Mahin, that's just fascinating little gosling where we can do 12 cans a minute and we get good DO levels. That's, you know, I never take these things for granted. Yeah? Um, the the different technologies on making low alcohol or no alcohol beer. And some of them are old technologies combined with new technologies. And some of them are re revolutionary. Yeah? There's a there's a company now that has, that has built a machine where you hook up a keg of beer. And on one side, you get uh, half a keg of hard seltzer. And on the other side of the machine, you get your non-alcoholic beers and the beer tastes absolutely amazing. And you can do that. Imagine that you have this, this perfect unit that, that meets two criteria: hard seltzer and non-alcoholic beers, which are really uh, <laughs> very trendy. And that machine works. It's great. I've seen it. I've tasted it. So, you know, I could go on and on. And, and sometimes we forget the little innovations um, also on, on, on drinkability and making beer fresher, taste better. Um, yeah. So I, you know, we could spend a, hours of, uh, of this podcast just talk about innovations. But those that are named are the ones that I, I feel I, I'm exposed to um, every day or the ripple of them in, in, uh, in, in, in our brewing world today. As far as, uh, I, I suppose, for, for people that are getting into brewing, we're, see, we're still seeing uh, breweries open even despite the pandemic, and we haven't seen um the number of closures that we were anticipating at the beginning of the pandemic i remember some pretty uh some pretty astronomical uh polling data that the brewers association had on breweries uh being pessimistic about staying open through all of this uh folks have survived uh fortunately and i wanted to know if you kind of 
had uh, through your through your experience any kind of inspiration for folks that um, maybe are starting off in this difficult time or uh, that are trying to find their second wind? Yeah, good, 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 uh, good, uh, good point here. Um, I always say life is a pendulum, and, and you and you always swing from one extreme to the other, right? And we had massive growth in, in craft brewing for so so many years, and we simply taking it for granted, right? The reality is, consolidation is normal. It's also normal that some big lines eat smaller lines, um, regardless if we like it or not. It's just that's what happens in business, and and yet for me the the most important thing is that there's so much more space still and so many villages and parts of cities where there is no brewery. And fundamentally for me, every, every couple thousand people deserve their own little bakery, their own little butcher shop or beyond meat supply <laughs> stay current here. Um, and they should have a little brewery. I still believe in, in the same picture that I had in my childhood. And that is you want that connection. You don't want gigantically big, breweries or beverage fabricators you want the artisanal cheese you want that that greenhouse you go to where you know you get good vegetables you you want a human interaction you want to know where stuff is coming from right um so i believe that um craft brewing and brewing is a multi-billion dollar uh, industry it's not niche anymore and that's what people want there isn't a restaurant that doesn't have some sort of a craft beer collection that's going to stay uh, but it goes through the normal waves of evolution, right? When when the the, the cannabis laws were eased um, uh, here in Canada, uh, everybody predicted you know, people are going to stop drinking craft beer. Yeah, that was a little bit of a dent, and that's that's okay. There's some common occasions. Uh, the same in the United States, in those states where it's been legalized. Yeah, people have more choices, and consumer will ultimately always dictate um, the the growth or the stagnation of your product. Uh, but then you have to be innovative, right? You know, if you're just trying to do more volume as a, as a small brewer and you, you go into the distribution and you're one out of 100 great beers on the shelf, well, pussycat, don't cry. It's 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 the nature of the beast, right? So you have to be more more creative in direct marketing, et cetera. And the Illinois Brewing Guild did you know, a couple of great workshops with with breweries that got got um, you know got caught ice cold from, from hero to zero. And they found a way of direct distribution, curbside pickup, um, you know, shipping the product, and ultimately gained back a way stronger relationship to their customers. So, where, where does it all go? Um, innovation will continue. Small breweries will continue, and maybe they need to spend a little bit less money on equipment and a bit more money on education, and um, adapt for you know the different dynamics. Uh, come up with the next, you know, hot seltzer fighter on the on the other side uh on the beer side and on or make hard cell systems you know, um so evolve with it um learn a little bit more but but i'm i'm not i'm not impressed with a short-term downturn um i've seen you know breweries growing and slowing down over the last 35 years that i'm in the industry and when you take a global picture of the last thousand years and then you and then you break it down over the last hundred years and the last 20 years, last 10 years, you see fundamentally alcohol consumption is always stagnant. And it's only the growth of the population that lifts it up a little bit. And then, you know, when the drunk driving laws came out, you know, there was a strong reduction in in Ireland when they said, you, you can't drive drunk and you can't smoke a cigar in the pub. 
you know, Guinness dropped by 20%, you know, so what? It was the right thing to do. And, and yes, at this time they said, oh, it's horrible. It's the end of the world. Well, we all learned to adapt to that. Um, and it's not how big you are. It's how great your product is. And yeah, maybe the little holy grail of drinkability. Let's not forget that as well. You know, there are beers that are just, oh, you're just so excited. And when my, my youngest son who does his apprenticeship right now at Augustina came this summer, to my cottage and he, he brought he smuggled six bottles of augustina idle stuff and 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 then he says dad i, I can't give you all six you only get one I, I promised five to my friends i was like <laughs> devastated and then i was sitting there one day and i and I, I cleaned the glass and i was sitting there and i and i poured that beer and i drank it and it's just oh my god this beer is ever good you know the way they do it the, the malting varieties they're using heritage malting varieties that freshness that taste oh my god and i was in heaven so yeah. So, so what is it we need to do? We need to, you know, work on our product, on our quality, on our drinkability, and then the engagement, the fun part, right? It's so much fun to have and 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 so much to learn together. And then in tough times, the suppliers need to work together. And I mean, that's why, you know, I, I passed on twelve scholarships at the beginning of COVID, and and, and you know, Amos engagement in in, in in doing the selection, and the rest of the Siebel team. Um, you know, I, I wanted one or two scholarships, and then. I felt heartbroken, you know, reading, and I, I was so excited at the same time by the applicants. So we handed 12 scholarships, yeah, and, and it was hugely rewarding. And I didn't think business, I didn't think anything else, but you know what? It's, it, we can do that, and that's what is required right now to both give, give a bit of hope and, and stimulant and let other suppliers or other people in the industry also give something, yeah? If you have a little bit more for a moment, give it, and it will all come back one way or the other. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My heart, my heart is warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a question for you. What, what, what beer are Great. you going to have tonight? Which, which beer are you going to finish off uh, <laughs> today? Uh, I'm going to enjoy a beer from a Siebel alumni tonight, actually. Uh, a uh, Matt Brittleton beer. I'm going to have, uh, I have one bottle left of the Firestone Walker double DBA. Uh, which uh, I had, I had a 2011 last year for Thanksgiving, and I had a 2012 uh, lined up for this year, and I can't wait till tomorrow. I have to have it tonight, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna. That's what I'm having tonight. <laughs> excellent, excellent. What about you, Sam? I'm sitting on uh, some pigeon porter I brought out to uh, my parents' place, so I'm gonna be sipping on some imperial porter tonight with pasta. <laughs> okay. What? What? I now you make me curious. What? Uh, what sauce do you have in that pasta to to not being completely run over by the imperial? Yeah, um, it's gonna be overpowered. It's there's no. I mean, it's loaded with garlic, but it's still that that imperial porter is gonna overpower the hell out of it. <laughs> it's okay. more about. Uh, it's one of my favorite beers that I love to have in the winter. So just always have it on hand. Yeah, when you when you say winter, I'm also very much a seasonal drinker, and I enjoy by the season and the different occasions. So I I I, I brewed a, um, a smoked oat porter the other day, and um, I'm I'm really enjoying that. And I made it uh, more like a brown porter, um, and I'm I'm you know even so I worked for the you know one of the world's most famous stout beers, the Guinness, 
I, I, I tend to, when I brew, do a bit more of the porters. And uh, so that's what I enjoy tonight. I smoked oat porter. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about mm-hmm. your home brewing. What kind of setup do you have? And uh, you answered partially answered my question about what do you enjoy brewing? Um, I enjoy brewing uh, both authentic lagers. Like right now, I, I brew the Hellebach. Um, I've got I've got a you know Bohemian style Pilsner. Uh, I brewed a double IPA recently. I call it the Barnyard Bully, um, and uh, I did it with wet hops um, and a new yeast strain. And my absolute favorite right now is uh, is a Norwegian Quake that I brewed with um, coriander seed and some hibiscus flour to give it a bit of a stewed taste. Uh, that's my my absolute favorite right now. Um, and after 35 years trying different yeast strains, that's the that's the yeast strain that Norwegian Quake that uh, it has it has given me the you know the biggest fascination, <laughs> etc. Um, and home brewing, I, I do on um, a system that that I built in Dublin together with a mechanic from the from the Guinness Brewery. Uh, it's a mobile skid where I can do one barrel uh, with a loader ton I can tip, and then I have two 50 liter spidal um, homebrew. Uh, systems, electrical ones, and panning on the weather. When it's nasty, I brew inside on the spidal. When it's barbecue, baking, uh, and fun part, I roll the, the bigger brewing system out, and that's that's where I brew there. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds like, sounds like a lot of fun, and those brews sound fantastic. <laughs> um, well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Christian. This was a really lovely conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck and enjoy this beers. I'm a little bit jealous what you what you can taste tonight. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're jealous of the homebrew. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care. All the best. Yep. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You as well.